0: Welcome to the CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman, a practicing physician and CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast, and today I'm very excited to have Todd Birdstand with me from Ashner. Todd's an internal medicine physician, also board certified in informatics. And Todd's done something really amazing at Oshner with problem-oriented charting. We all struggle with this, getting that problem list clean and making it usable. Providers will complain that no one's maintaining it, no one owns it, but that's not the case at Oshner. And so I'm real excited to bring you, Todd, to the show today. Todd, say hello and introduce yourself for us.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to be here.
0: Awesome. So, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about how you got into informatics in general and what your career track has been so far.
1: Sounds good. So I've uh, been in the healthcare IT world for 26 years now, uh, trained as a general internist and uh, after finishing residency at Duke, um, we started uh, on paper charts and I'm like, this is crazy and so uh, being young and ambitious at that time I said well why don't we just write my own electronic health record and so a million lines of code later literally um, I had a a functioning electronic health record and uh, proceeded to sell that for a while got really uh, interested in all the ins and outs of informatics Uh, eventually ended up moving to Iowa and joining the faculty there and helping them with their system and then in 2006 began work on Epic as its platform Uh, and really have been uh, developing uh, functionality inside of uh, EPIC EHRs for the past 13 years. For the past three years I've been down here at Ochsner as the CMIO for the system And really, it's been a great experience. Uh, A lot of support down here to really innovate. And and one of the big innovations has been problem oriented charting.
0: So you've you've really taken on the technical side of this. You've got a lot of experience, it sounds like, in coding, probably more than our our average uh, listener. How how do you feel that um, the coding has helped you as a CMIO? Is that does that play a role at all? Or is that just a fun part of your past? um, Or does it still still relate?
1: It it does relate. In in fact, um, I'm thinking back to um, Before there was uh, AMIA, there was a conference called SCAMSI in 1995, and I actually gave a talk in 1995 about um, the value of structured data elements versus unstructured data elements and which should be what. And so that was a real important concept when you're designing an electronic health record about what do you codify and what do you leave as a free text block for, for folks to put in. And that feeds directly into what problem-oriented charting is all about even 20 plus years later because forever in a day what we've been doing is putting our impressions in free text in a note and taking away the ability to have that information as structured information in the problem list which we could then build to use so many different things not just to improve quality and revenue, but decision support, efficiency, all kinds of things that can be done from the system understanding about the problems that a patient has instead of trying to understand it via free text in a note.
0: Tell me about your journey to CMIO. How did that happen? When when did you decide, you know what, I want to do more of this informatics than the clinical part, because I assume you are more than 50% uh, informatics at this point. when did, what made you decide? Where were you in that in that thought process? Because I know many of our listeners go through this, should I be a, a clinician more than an informaticist or the other way around?
1: Yeah, so I kind of joined us at the front end before there was the concept of a CMIO, they were just called physician champions. Um, and at, at that point in time um, was paid about, uh, or 0.4 FTE, um, just to develop content and workflows as um, at at Iowa when we were um, uh, switching from a homegrown EHR to to Epic system. Um, And then also involved in some of the training and stuff of of providers. Um, That transitioned into an associate CMIO as meaningful use came into play. And so there was a lot of build that had to happen to make meaningful use work and the reporting work and to actually drive results to, to reach the levels uh, on the metrics that we needed to to get reimbursement. And so I became the associate CMIO at Iowa in charge of decision support and, and meaningful use. Um, and in that role, actually, we were able to win the Davies Award um, for all the decision support tools that we had. and. Getting involved in decision support let me realize the importance of having structured data elements in the system to be able to to drive that. It's a a concept that uh, I often refer to about the evolution of electronic health record, that we're trying to move from the electronic health record being your assistant or somebody who's just simply organizing information to actually being your colleague in caring for the patient. And in order for an EHR to become your colleague, it has to know something about the patient. The analogy I use is you would not be very happy if the ER called you at 2 in the morning and simply said, there's Mary Smith down here. She's a 68-year-old white female. Come see her. That's, you know, if you don't have any structured information about the patient, right, um, it's very difficult for you to try and help out in the care. And so that structured information, the heart of it, really comes down to the problem list you know we get surrogate information with labs and radiology and orders and meds and other things like that that can help and direct and definitely contribute but the most specific type of information that you can really use has to do with what diagnoses the patients have and that comes from the problem list
0: um i love the way you put that i haven't heard of it uh, referred as the as my colleague before but that's uh that's spot on so uh, you arrive at Oshner and what do things look like? What do, you, what do you, in terms of problem oriented charting, what's the lay of the land? Why did you need this? What made you decide to tackle this? There are certainly easier things to tackle in this world.
1: <laughs> no kidding. Um, yeah, so um, one of the three strategies that I had in coming here was I said, what we need to do is work on intelligent decision support. And so what I meant by this was, <clears throat> Forever and a day, um, it seems like every patient safety event was needed to be solved by a best practice alert or a pop-up. And we were quickly getting into the world of alert fatigue and all these alerts are being ignored. And if you've been to any epic session, you've heard over and over again, please turn off the BPAs. Um, So we, we needed to figure out how to provide decision support because we wanted to really, again, have the EMR function as your colleague, but we needed to do it in an intelligent way so that it was obeying those five rights of clinical decision support about the right patient at the right time and going to the right provider with the right information. So all those things needed to be in place and at the center of that was we had to fix the problem list. And so like almost every organization I think that's out here right now, um, they will say the problem list was a mess. And we were no different. Our problem list was a mess. So either organizations when they joined an electronic health record either took everything that they had and dumped it into the problem list or started from clean. And so either people's problem lists are filled with a bunch of duplicates and junk or it's filled with nothing and missing huge gaps of pieces of information. But very few organizations had a clean problem list that they could rely on. Um, and so we thought about this and we said, why is that? Why, why does it have such a difficulty? And we looked to areas where the problem list was doing a little bit better, and one of those areas was in the clinic for folks that are on a regular basis being seen by somebody in internal medicine or family medicine as a PCP, and that physician was going to that problem list and cleaning it every, on every visit. And so we thought about that from the inpatient side and we said, why doesn't that happen? And the answer was, there's nothing in the daily workflow that drives you to the problem list. right? You've got to go to orders to put in orders. You've got to go to notes to put in notes. You've got to go to charges to drop your charges. You've got to go to the results review to look at your lab results. Nothing in my daily workflow is driving me to the problem list. Right? And so we needed to fix the workflow to drive folks to the problem list every day to keep it accurate and updated. And the only way that we could do that was made it so that you couldn't generate your note unless it came from the problem list and therefore became problem-oriented charter.
0: So how did you do that? Um, Tell me a little bit about how you got the buy-in for it, technically, I guess, maybe a little bit about how you do it without going into EPIC's um, intellectual property, and yeah. you know how did you overcome what I am sure was some resistance out there? There's no way this thing went through with everyone smiling and hugging you.
1: No. Um, so uh, if you want to rock the boat, this is one way to do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> so part of it is that we realize nobody is trained in doing this, right? We're all trained in doing soap notes, but we're really not trained in doing problem-oriented charting. So we knew it was going to have to be very different, and it's going to take a lot of buy-in. So the first thing that we we thought about with this is, okay, um, what are the things that we can sell? What are the carrots that we can provide to help make people attracted to doing this? And so we had several. The first is, that we could design a template that was specific to each service that had all the pieces of uh, information linked in it that they wanted linked and would appear automatically. So we literally sat down with 70 different departments and said, tell me about your ideal admission note. Tell me about your ideal progress note. Tell me about your ideal consult note. Tell me about your ideal discharge note. What do you want on there? What labs? What vitals? What I's and O's? What what history? What tell me what it looks like when it's perfect. Okay? Yeah. And we literally designed each of those <clears throat> notes for each of the 70 departments. And so that was the first carrot. Was they're going to get a note that is consistent, that looks the same every time, and it's going to have all the things in it that they want to have in it defaulted in that was the first care, all right. The second carrot was, so tell me um, what is difficult, and one of the things that was difficult was handoffs. So a lot of services right now, most services, I'm on for, for a week, two weeks, whatever, taking care of patients. That I leave, somebody's got to come and, and take up behind me. And that was a very difficult thing for them to do because they didn't know what was going on with each of the problems. So. With problem-oriented charting, what you're doing about the pneumonia, you don't have to go back to five, six, seven days ago to find out what happened with the pneumonia. It's right under the pneumonia, the entire history of what's been doing with the pneumonia. So that became a a big big, um, selling point was the ability to have cleaner and more efficient handoffs. The third thing that people hated was whole note copy forward. And the reason for that Everyone hates that. Yes, right, because the patient has a fever of 105 for seven days in a row, right? (laughs) Right. Okay, and so we said, look, you don't like this? Fine. If you use problem-oriented turning, what we're essentially doing is we're regenerating a new note for you every day based on the most current data. So we are eliminating full note copy forward. We're not taking away your ability to move specific pieces of information that should automatically come forward like what did I do about the pneumonia yesterday tell me about that and then I will just change it to what I'm doing about it today but we want everything else to be automatically updated and regenerated for me so I'm not just copying forward because if I copy forward the whole note you know what I'm going to be lazy and I'm not going to go in and re-edit it to make sure everything is current right so problem oriented charting eliminated whole note copy forward that was another big carrot. So now we can trust the note because it's actually current. Um, The the fourth carrot that we put in place with problem oriented charting was it was uh, very difficult to do a discharge summary on somebody who had been here for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, especially if you weren't taking care of them when they started their care. So you had to go back and look at all the different progress notes and the admission h and everything to write a hospital course it took a long time for these complicated patients so our build of problem-oriented and charting we put in a field of hospital course that allows you to update what's going on for major events as the admission is going on so when it comes time to doing the discharge summary it just goes and grabs that box basically and puts it in your discharge note. Doing that actually turned out to decrease the time it takes, and we actually measure this through our electronic health record. But the actual time it takes to create a discharge note went down by 75 percent.
0: That's a big deal. I mean, that's that's definitely. I mean, if that's a big deal for your hospitalists, um, but gee, does infectious disease get as excited about this? Um, they, they're not they, doing that.
1: They actually do because, uh, again, it has to do with the fact that what they document is at the problem level. So a a lot of times, you know, if I have a consultant, sometimes it's difficult for me to understand what did the consultant say about this problem? I've got to go find that note about what the consultant said. It may not be the most current note. It may have to go back three or four notes. And so it's very inefficient for me to try and say, what did I say about why they wanted to keep these antibiotics and how long they needed to keep the antibiotics and everything else, right? Not a problem, I go under the you know infected leg ulcer and I have ability to see, show me what everybody has said about this irregardless of the service that it is contributing the note. So um, I can quickly see what infectious disease has said about this ulcer. <clears throat> it's also delineated by department. So while I'm taking over, for example, in hospital medicine, I will get to edit and see what everybody from hospital medicine put before me. So that's fed up into my my cue here, essentially, of how I document on that problem. But I'm also able to see what all the other services said. And what I put in doesn't affect them. What they put in doesn't affect me, but we see each other. We see each other not just over this problem, but we see this problem across encounters because the way that problem-oriented charting works is that those notes about that problem carry forward to the clinic so if they're seen in the clinic the clinic physician can see every day what was said about that problem if the patient gets readmitted i can see every day what was said about that problem from the admission before without having to go and find that admission and see all the notes and everything else like that It's all stored at the problem level. And so that really gets this whole concept of problem-based care um, ingrained in the workflow, um, and it really kind of alters the thinking. Uh, I just had a a talk with one of our uh, medicine residents, and and he said, you know, everybody bitches about problem-oriented charting that they don't like it. I said, but you know what? Really, if you you stop and ask them, they wouldn't go back. And the reason that they wouldn't go back is because it's fundamentally changed how they care for a patient um they they are no longer thinking about the patient in terms of a note they're thinking about the patient in terms of their problems um and that's actually provided much better care for the patient sure in in addition to that we now have the added so that that's all on the front end for what the physician sees on the back end there's additional benefits so the additional benefits number one come from the computer being able to the electronic health record being able to provide more uh, accurate and um, uh, timely decision support okay so I'll, I'll give you an example of this that it's a great example so our system actually um, takes all the vitals all the labs um, as well as the problem list for all of our patients and puts it into the cloud and does um, real-time machine learning and data modeling on that and is able to predict who on the floor is going to have a cardiac arrest before they have the cardiac arrest and actually then sends a page out to the rapid response team to go and evaluate the patient. Um, none of that would have been possible if we didn't have an accurate problem list. In fact, when they were training this, right, one of the things that they, they learned was so we have LVAD, a lot of LVAD patients, left ventricular assist device patients, right, and their vitals are totally screwed up compared to everybody else. So it looks like they're coding all the time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So, but having the LVAD being on the problem list as a structured item allowed the machine learning model to learn those patients get different set of vitals and don't turn on the alerts for those at the same rate. All right. So this is an example of real time how the problem list is able to provide um, support and better care for the patients. Again, functioning as its colleague.
0: I can see how that would definitely reduce the noise of all those alerts firing. It Reduce, if, if reduce if the
1: noise of all the alerts firing and actually reduce the number of codes on the floor by 44%. Yeah, so it's, it's it's not just that you're improving alert fatigue, you're actually getting better care. Right? Um, and so we do all kinds of other things. So for example, uh, another thing that we put in place is um, about DVT prophylaxis on admission. So you know, before what we were doing is saying, hey, is this patient a low risk, high risk? What are they? If they're low risk, these are the meds that are suggested. If they're high risk, these are the meds that are suggested. But you know what? The majority of the people that are answering that questions are interns and residents admitting patients. And to be honest, they're not that accurate assessing at low risk or high risk, right? So what we did is we took the Padwa DVT uh, scoring system, and we built it off of the problem list, which is now accurate because people are keeping an accurate problem list. Um, And so the system automatically Detects what the PADY DVT score is and suggests the appropriate DVT prophylaxis right in the admission order set without any pop ups occurring at all. So, so I, I
0: get that you're using the, prob- the, the assessment and plan part of the problem list. Are you using the overview section as well do you have people talking about okay this is this problem started you know hypertension and it began you know 1995 and stuff like that or or is it really just give me the the stuff from today today i'm going to put in my assessment and plan and that's what's in there
1: so both And, and and actually so the the folks up in cleveland clinic were using the overview section as the assessment and plan section and that screwed a bunch of stuff up because it carries through into the clinic and it was messing up the problems in the clinic. Sure. We, we were very clear that the overview section is a great section, it's absolutely to be used, but it's to be used for high-level information about that problem that needs to be carried forward across encounters. The assessment and plan section is about what you're doing about that problem today or, or in this encounter. Right. Yeah, I
0: think that's important because I've seen people really mess that up and, you know, when you're using your links to pull in the data into your note, you, do, you, do you need to pull that overview section in every single time?
1: Yeah, so our link does not pull the over, the, the note we use in the progress note section does not pull the overview note. Right. It just pulls the assessment and plan note.
0: That makes sense, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, and then the, the third piece of the puzzle that got better with problem-oriented charting had to do with quality and coding. Uh, and documentation. So um, what we saw before was that the coders ignored the problem list because it was totally inaccurate and depended upon natural language processing software like 3M and other things like that to try and get all the codes out of the system. Um, With the cleaning up of the problem list, the coders actually now start the coding process by looking at the problem list. Our CDI nurses actually start what they do looking at the problem list. which is a whole radical shift about how they're doing with it. And we've seen tremendous advances. So I'll give you just a a quick example. So one of the veins of existence for the coders is when interns say somebody has altered mental status instead of encephalopathy. Um, So if you look at the time before we did problem-oriented charting for the 7 quarters before versus the 11 quarters that we've done now problem-oriented charting, we had a 38% reduction in the, the diagnosis of altered mental status and a 67% increase in the diagnosis of encephalopathy.
0: That's either okay. an outbreak of encephalopathy or some good, much better coding.
1: Yes, much better coding. And the reason for that has to do with the, what's built into Epic about the problem list. And so when you just put a problem on the in your note and you just type it in, there's no logic or support system behind it. When I force you to add it to the problem list, you hit what's called the problem list calculator, which allows me to ask you questions to specify more uh, distinctly and exactly what that problem is. And that gets me the specificity, which usually kicks me up to higher levels of coding. And that affects not just revenue, in the, with the CCs and MCC captures, which dramatically increased with, with problem oriented charting, return. And, and so our CFO was very happy about that. Um, but it also affected quality scores because if you look at what your Ramey and your ECRI are, the denominator is all about expected mortality, which is all being driven by secondary diagnosis. So that the more specific a diagnosis you can hit, the better off it is. So for example, in a, in a clinic note, you may in a, I'm sorry, in a progress note, you may never have mentioned that, you know, hey, the potassium is a little low, I'm going to replete with a little uh, potassium, right? But with problem oriented charting, what we do is we make you add hypokalemia to the diagnosis list. That then gets put into your note, and you say what you're doing about it, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we've seen a 30% increase in the, uh, the number of patients that have uh, hypo and hypernatremia and hypo and hypokalemia on their problems. Well, it turns out that those electrolyte disturbances all affect your expected mortality, so they drive your denominator of Urania, and that makes your Urania score look better.
0: Right. So tell me, who fought it? Uh, it? Not their individual name, I'm talking about as a general class, a specialty, who who gave you the resistance going into
1: this? So it's interesting, um, the resistance came from, from two places, right? Uh, and not the places that you would expect. <laughs> Um, so um, I thought for sure it was going to be the surgeons. The surgeons are going to freak out about this and uh, it turned out surgery loved it. They, they are one of our highest adopters. Um, so the, the folks that um, ha, were reluctant to use it were kind of a few different areas. One was neonatology and that's because they had their own system uh, of how they did it and um, they were so complicated with those neonates that they, they just were kind of not open to change. And I think they're in a very high stress about making sure that everything gets right, and so it's been very hard to win neonatology with them. Mm-hmm. Um Similarly, actually, the the um, pediatric ICU, uh, pediatric intensive care, has been variable. Um, some people really like it. Some people don't. When it comes to the ICU, we rearrange things so. Um, We have the ability to order the problem by symptoms. And so the note comes out as a system-based assessment and plan, which is what most ICU doctors like to see, you know, cardiac, renal, hepatic, you know, it's organized in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So some people like that, some people don't. And then the other more recent um, holdouts have actually been our initial people uh, who were most supportive of it, which was hospital medicine. And the, the ones in hospital medicine that have been some of the holdouts are, are what I call the purists, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the issue comes into something that we, we have now called pseudo-grouping that we're waiting on Epic to try and help us fix. And it goes something like this. So I have a patient that comes into the hospital who has a GI bleed, right? Mm-hmm. And they have anemia, they have a GI bleed, and they have hypertension, right? Mm-hmm. So, those are three problems. I want all three problems on the problem list because the, all three of them will affect coding and revenue and mortality and quality and all those things. And I want to know about all three of them, right? Right. But my assessment and plan about what I'm doing is the same for all three. Right? Yes. So, do I put C above, C above under the other two? What do I do with that? So we've had to create, the, because the EHR does not allow you to group those diagnoses and put them under one assessment and plan, at least not yet, um, what we've had to do is create what we call pseudo grouping in, inside the, the problem list. Um, and so under the first diagnosis of GI bleed, we put anemia and hypotension. And so, yes, they're added to the problem list, but we don't do an assessment and plan out under anemia and hypotension. We just do it under the GI bleed. Um, so it looks good in the note and everything, but a, a lot of the hospitalists are like, you know what? It's, it's segmenting these concepts and that's too much work and I don't like it. I like to be able to um, think about these different diagnoses together and, and understand it from more of a pathophysiology point of view. Um, and so that's been their holdout. I think once we get real grouping together, they're going to be totally back on board so it's been interesting like some people were like oh i don't want to use it because it's a big change and other people are like it's it's a big change but it's not going far enough
0: right so are they sorting the problem list do you see people using that that functionality where they're taking the most important problems putting it up to the top and
1: yeah that's absolutely know. critical so mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. we tell people it's very important to get it right on the admission As a matter of fact. The time it takes to do an admission P has probably gone up about 25% because you're having to clean up that problem list and you're having to sort it and organize it because the way you sort it is the way it's going to come out in your note. It also helps with the flow of the generation. So when you're, you know, you don't want it to be talking about pneumonia and then talking about nutrition and then talking about congestive heart failure and then talking about placement and then talking about renal disease, you know. That yeah. doesn't make sense, yeah. right? Right. And so sorting and organizing by that um, is real important. In the ICUs it's actually easier because they sort by system. But in the on the wards where they, they, they don't want their notes organized that way, it's really important that they get that sort priority uh, organized. And we've, we've allowed them to do that by creating 25 levels of sort priority. So they can really actually say, I want this above that, above this um exactly how they like to see it
0: so tell me about cleanup of the problem list uh, i've heard of one system out there that's got a batch job that runs uh, every every 30 days i think it is and it takes out all the acute problems like sore throat or dizzy or yeah. fever do you guys do anything like that or is it all manual when the patient gets out of the hospital the primary care doctor's cleaning it up or how does that work
1: So there's two processes. Um, One is the manual process that on uh, discharge, the first step on discharge med rec is to reconcile the problem list. And it's actually sorted into things that we think should be um, resolved. So like septic shock, people should not go home from the hospital with septic shock, right? To things that that may or may not need to be resolved. So somebody has acute renal insufficiency or something else like that. Maybe we want to keep that, maybe we don't. The things that we know probably should stay on, like history of breast cancer, right? So it automatically sorts them for the provider, but they do still manually go in and need to resolve those problems. In addition to that, we have what we call a problemless declutter function that we run every Sunday night that goes in and looks for problems that should no longer be active. So if you're pregnant for more than 11 months, (laughs) we resolve that. you know, acute cough. You know, acute UTI. Anything like that that we think this is a self-limited problem probably should have just been on the visit diagnosis, not on the problem list. We auto resolve all those things, and and so that occurs every Sunday.
0: So, give us the end result here a little bit. Uh, how did how'd you measure it, and what does the end result look like? Is it is did this work? <laughs>
1: So um, it's working great. Um, Our overall adoption rates are around 80% of all notes are written through problem-oriented charting. That includes not just residents and interns that we kind of dictate this is how you're gonna do it, but attendings that take care of patients on their own, as well as even community physicians that just come in and admit to our hospitals. And this is across over over 20 hospitals that now that we are live uh, on and bringing on board. Uh, they all have adopted problem-oriented charting so we're really excited about that what we've now seen um, in addition to this is that problem-oriented charting is now going into the outpatient world. and so this started with our endocrine clinic now our renal clinics are doing it as well but this is really fantastic and very efficient way to do outpatient notes as well because again when my endocrinologist sees the patient with diabetes What they did about that diabetes is stored as an assessment and plan note under the diabetes from before. They can even put links in there to most recent labs and so that they just hit the refresh button it updates the most current labs in their assessment and plan note automatically. Um, And yet it generates the note again um, uh, real time based on the most current information. In addition to that, the labs that they order, the medications that they order, when they associate those with the diagnosis, they now appear underneath that diagnosis in the problem list. So the meds that need to be refilled can all be done from the problem list. The labs that need to be reordered, and the results of them are right there from the problem list. So it's uh, it it again it reorganizes everything um, for the provider based on the problems that the patient has. All right,
0: so. Uh you know, I, I, the, the reason why I wanted you on this show is because you got to that 80% mark. I mean, if you only got to 60%, you slacker, I don't think we would have had you on here, but no, I'm teasing. I mean, oh my goodness, 80%, I mean, including community physicians, this is, this is really groundbreaking. I have not heard of this kind of success from another system, so uh, congratulations on that. That's amazing.
1: I, I um, will say it did take the commitment and support from our senior administration, so um, what our senior administration said for our employed providers is we're making this a target for you. And so they came to us and asked us, so we really think that this is where we want to go. We see the benefits that you're telling us about it. What can we do to be supportive about this? And, and they said, well, we need to get everybody on board. And the reason for that is if I'm doing, if, if you're not doing problem-oriented charting and I pick up your patient and now I've got a, take all your note and re it up into uh, being assigned to individual problems. My life is miserable. Okay, mm-hmm. So everybody needs to be doing it in order for it to be easy for everybody to do it. Um, and so we set this threshold that as a department, your department needed to be at 80% of your notes uh, done that way. Um, and, and the senior administration tied some of their financial bonuses to that 80% mark. Um, So doing that the first year, 96% of our departments hit that target.
0: Nice, very, very impressive. So any advice for anyone who um, is crazy enough to think about attempting this back home? What should we know before we do this?
1: So I think, yeah, there are a few pieces of advice. Um, One is meet with each individual department to understand what they want as an ideal note. If you're creating a templated note for them through problem-oriented charting that's not what they want to see and they've got to edit, you're dead in the water. So it it takes a lot of work to go meet with them and find out what they want and what they don't want, but it pays benefits in spades on the back end.
0: Did you personally go and meet with them or was this physician informaticists
1: or the trainers? or This was you. No, uh, I went and personally met with each department, I mean several hundred meetings.
0: Okay. okay, okay. So you're a patient man. This this took a while for you to, to put into place.
1: We we started in October of 2016, and July of 2017, they were all built. So it was about uh, eight months.
0: How can people follow you if they wanted to? Here, or social media. Um...
1: E- email is the best way. Um, so I don't have a. I do have a LinkedIn account. You're welcome to reach me on LinkedIn. Um, I don't have a Twitter account, um, uh, but you can just email me as well. It's todd.firstdame um, at so we can put that on the podcast.
0: Thank you for that. Um, and so you're also going to be uh, doing a UGM presentation in August, so uh, you're going to be talking about this topic as well, aren't you?
1: Yes, we'll be uh, presenting on Monday, the, uh, the first day of the UGM, as part of the Physician Advisory Council, looking forward to... Uh, uh, seeing any of you there that would uh, like to come and, and uh, actually see some of the data and screenshots and everything that uh, that we can only show you under uh, EPIC's permission.
0: Well, I think uh, that's fantastic that those who are on EPIC will get a chance to perhaps ask you their questions in person. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. That is our show for today. You've been listening to the CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. I look forward to bringing you our next episode.